what you see isn't always what it seems. There's more than meets the eye. I don't know about you, but if I had to pick the one sense that I rely on the most, it would be my sight. I mean, think about it. Think of all the analyzing that takes place in the moment between your eyes see something and your brain processes it. We make split-second judgments like this all the time. We judge restaurants completely due to the quality of the cleanliness of their bathroom floor. At least I do. (laughs) That's, That's the litmus test. We judge books by their cover, even though the saying tells us not to do that. And yes, we do judge a two and a half hour movie based off of a 30 second trailer. In all those instances, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. There's a lot more to each of those stories than what our eyes tell us immediately. And I think there's no better story to illustrate that point than the story of Jack and the Beanstalk. So Jack and his mom are on the verge of starvation, right? And Jack's mom finally says, hey, we got to sell our cow. we got to get some money to try to survive just a little bit longer. And so Jack takes that cow with the intention to sell it until he runs into somebody who is willing to trade magic beans for that cow. He makes that trade. He comes home, and his mom is, as you can guess, very ticked off about this. He was totally scammed, or so it seemed. Well, as you might know how the story progresses, those beans, out of them come a huge beanstalk. And you hear some fee-fi-fo-fums, and Jack grabs some gold, and the giant falls, and the stock is cut down. And in the end, Jack and his mom have more gold than they ever dreamed of. Those worthless beans ended up being their rescue from poverty. Now, Jack's mom, she made a split-second judgment from what she saw, right? These beans were useless. In fact, they were kind of the seeds of death in her eyes. This was the end. But in reality, those seeds were so much more than what met the eye. They gave them a whole new life, a whole new meaning, a whole new purpose for their family. All through the philanthropy of that man who knew what these beans were capable of and traded them to Jack. Do you think that God's philanthropy works a little bit like that too, that his special and unique love for people appears to us in so many ways that are far more than what meet the eye. Is God's grace and love for you way deeper than what we can see on the surface level? So when you hear that word philanthropy, We almost instantaneously connect that with somebody who's wildly wealthy, right? The Bill Gateses, the Jeff Bezoses of the world, their foundations that give millions to people who need food or need medical supplies. And there's so much goodness that meets the eye there, right? That word philanthropy comes from a Greek word and it simply means love for people. Now, it's a special thing when we see those incredible gifts of kindness given but you probably know as well as I do, there's a lot more there than meets the eye. Many of those gifts are given with at least a little bit of the intention of gaining some sort of glory or recognition or at the very least, a warm feeling inside. And in every case where philanthropy happens, it's always done for people that we pity in some way, shape, or form, right? Now imagine with me for a minute that such 
philanthropy was done for someone who personally abused you or hurt you deeply. I don't know about you, but I've never seen or heard a news story of tens of millions of dollars being given to a person who has emotionally or physically hurt someone. I haven't seen a story where huge sums of money are given to people who ghost you or abandon you. But when you think about God's brand of philanthropy, his love for people, that's exactly the kind of love he gives. That's the exact kind of people he gives that philanthropy too. And the people of Crete show this more than any. They are the prime example. Titus here, this letter that Paul wrote to him, Titus, he was a young pastor on the island of Crete. And Paul had huge plans for his mentee. See, Crete was located, obviously, right in the Mediterranean. It still is. And they had all these international harbors. And Paul's hope was that this island could be the launching pad where the gospel could go out to that whole Mediterranean region. But there were some temple-sized problems, roadblocks in that plan. See, the people of Crete were known throughout the ancient world as people who loved to lie and to abuse. In fact, their role model for life was the Greek god Zeus. And if you know anything about Greek mythology, Zeus was a womanizer. He liked to steal things from people. Their whole culture was built on a lie. And tell me if this lie sounds a little familiar. It's the lie that whatever your eye sees, whatever makes you happy, you have the right to have that. Regardless of what other people think of it, if you want that thing, whatever it may be, you should get it and be willing to do whatever it takes to get it. In other words, it's not philanthropy, love for people. It's philanthropy, love for self. How could God love people like that, so selfish, so abusive, so hurtful? Well, if you make that question personal, I don't know how its impact doesn't hit close to home. How could God love a person like me? In Titus 3, verse 3, the verse right before we're looking at right now, Paul lays out exactly who we were before Jesus entered our lives. We were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We are Cretans by nature. So often we're driven by what we want in that moment, whatever passion or desire that we so desperately need that we think will make us happy. We ghost God in our prayer and devotional life when he so desperately wants to hear from us. And at times we live deceived. And there's maybe no more debilitating deception in Satan's locker of lies for Christians than the lie that your baptism means and does nothing for your life. You all see this font right here. You see the water that's dripping from my hand. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I don't think about that amazing gift of baptism enough. You just self-reflect with me for a minute. When was the last time that you were sitting at your dining room table or brushing your teeth or driving to work and you were just stopped dead in your tracks by just how amazing baptism is, that you just couldn't stop thinking about the day you were baptized? Full disclosure, I'll be the first to confess that it's a rare day when the thought of what baptism does for me 
just completely leaves me breathless. And maybe that's how it is for you too. You know, the devil is quick to try to make us think it's nothing. It's a ceremony that only lasts about five minutes. How can it have a long-lasting impact on your life? How can 13 words spoken over some water be the difference maker for you, be an identity changer for you? That can't be real. Or so the deceiver, the deadly deceiver declares. And he says as much because he knows something about God's philanthropy. Is that God's philanthropy appears, it has its epiphany, most often in ways that are far more than what meet the eye. You and I, before Jesus entered our hearts, before the Holy Spirit created faith, we lived lost. Maybe on the outside we looked like we had it together, but internally we were struggling. We've lived lives where we've hurt God with our sin. And we wonder how in the world we're going to change who we are. If you've come here today struggling with that fact, trying to be who God has called you to be, but feeling like you just can't do it, Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, they're written for you. See these incredible words as God's philanthropy personally appears into your life. The God that, yes, we hurt with our sin, but that hurt would never stop him from being the Savior that he is. It wouldn't stop him from giving you the greatest gift of philanthropy ever, the treasure that is baptism. Look at what Paul says. He says, well, in the kindness and love, and that love is that philanthropy kind of love, of God our Savior appeared, he saved you and me, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God's mercy, that incredible word that simply means God not giving us what we deserve, it changes everything. It puts our life on a completely different direction. Why would God do that for us? How can we see his philanthropy in action personally in our lives? Well, listen closely. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Can you guess why this baptismal font is front and center in our church? Why it's designed to be the very first thing that you see the moment you walk into your father's house? It's that reminder of who you really are. It's to remind you of that most incredible day when your father, your savior, your sanctifier claimed you to be his own. It was that day that you became a member of God's family. It's designed for you to look at that every single Sunday and remember that you're a blood-bought child of God. You're not a sin-stained Cretan anymore. You're redeemed, bought back, child of Christ. Think about the joy that that gives us every single day. Every single day you wake up renewed by God's grace. His forgiveness is real. It's authentic. It is there for you. And because you have so much joy over that fact, joy just ends up being splashed all over everything you do in life. In fact, when you think about your baptism, you can think about that day that God the Father said the same thing to you that he said to Jesus on his baptism day. He looked at you with a huge smile on his face. He said, this is my daughter. This is my son whom I love. With her, with him, I am well pleased. Now why why would God give such philanthropy to us? Why would he love us so much? It's an easy answer because that's simply who he is. 
That's the character and identity of God. It's completely encapsulated by self-giving and selfless love. And newsflash, that's your true identity too as baptized, believing children of God. That by faith, you want to give everything you can to serve your God with everything you have. And there's an incredible result of what baptism has done for you. There is a certain future that is yours that can never be taken away. Look at how Paul describes this future. Your future. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Because you are baptized, because you're a Bible-believing Christian, you're a son and daughter of the Heavenly Father, you're a sibling of Jesus, and there's an incredible gift that comes attached with that. Hope. Hope that goes beyond the grave. Hope for every moment you live. Don't think for a minute that the might word here, that we might become heirs, it's bad English grammar, but the sense of what that is, is that we got to become heirs. This is the automatic result. This isn't some hope that we wish will happen. This is your reality. You have a hope that makes you see life in a completely different way, that guides you into seeing things like God sees things. Here's what I mean by that. Imagine with me for a second that you're washing your hands and as you see the water dripping out of the faucet, you remember who you are, what your baptism has done for you. And you turn and you see your kids screaming in tears. They're not sharing. They're really upset about that. But because you know who you are through baptism, you empathize with their struggle of sharing. You lovingly call out their sin and then you excitedly tell them about the greatest gift that Jesus shared with us, forgiveness in heaven. When you see life through baptismal vision, when you're in a work Zoom meeting, and that one coworker who talks over everybody else all the time is going off again, instead of internally fuming with annoyance, you internally say a prayer that she grows closer to Jesus. Because maybe the reason she's talking over everybody is just because she feels like nobody will listen to her. There's nobody who cares for her. When baptism is on the forefront of your mind, it changes how you look at your spouse too. Instead of looking to your spouse to be that person who should just know your needs and fulfill every desire you have, you look at them with one goal and one purpose. It's to bring that person closer to Jesus every single day so that one day they can stand at your side in heaven forever. Because of who you are in baptism, it changes friendship for you too, that when your friends let you down and they will, when they ghost you and they abandon you, whatever it may be, you respond with forgiveness, compassion, and empathy. And maybe more than anything else, what baptism does for you is it gives you a whole new vision for your future. Even as we live in a time where things are changing by the second and normalcy seems to be a thing of the past, you have a hope. It's the hope that the water of life your Savior has given to you. And it's not a hope that he gives you by the trickle. It's a hope he gives you by the ton. That no matter what you face, you know what the end is for you. And it's an amazing one. Because baptism isn't some imaginative fairy tale of magic like Jack and the Beanstalk. It's real. It's authentic. It's the visible evidence of who you really are in Jesus. It's that day where the Lord rejected the devil from claiming you as his property. It's the day that God looked at you and said, I love you. 
You're my child. There's so much more here than meets the eye. See, when God's philanthropy appears in your life, you see Jesus for who he really is. When you see Jesus for who he really is, it leads you to be able to see you for who you really are. You have a hope. A hope that is in every moment, whether it's stressful or mundane, it's there for you. It's a hope that maybe nobody else can see, but to you, it means everything. See, baptism becomes the springboard to every conversation and relationship you have. It becomes the filter through which you see everything in your life. Because what you see is God's philanthropy with the ultimate hope that one day, and it will happen, it's certain, you'll get to stand with those same saints and angels in heaven who rejoice the day you were baptized. Because you see things through baptismal vision. And when you see life that way, not only do you see everything for what they are, you see things like Jesus sees things. And there's no better sight than that. Amen. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be all glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.